So thankful this morning that that is the Lord's desire to speak to us, and I hope your desire is to hear this morning. If you're thankful again for God's presence today, say amen. How blessed we are that he is with us, and we praise him for that this morning. So grateful for the way that God has been working in our lives and um, in our services, and we just thank him. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn with me to Romans. The book of Romans chapter 6 is where we'll be beginning this morning. Romans chapter 6. We continue our sermon series uh, entitled Daily Pursuits. Uh, Pursuing more of Jesus is our desire, and the purpose of this series is to take a look at how we can continue to grow in our walk with, with the Lord by pursuing more of Jesus every day. Last week, we talked about pursuing more of his voice in our ear, and we need to hear from God and what he is speaking into our lives. We need to have a heart that's open to hear the voice of God, and you were challenged last week to have that open ear and desiring for the Lord to speak to you more. But once we hear his voice, once we hear him speak to us, it's up to us then to take what he speaks to us and begin to walk in obedience in that. I'm grateful for the fact that God speaks, but then we have to obey what he asks us to do. And so this week, um, as we think about pursuing him every day, I want us to um, uh, pursue, urge you to pursue more of his death in your life, more of his death in your life. As we listen to the voice of God through his Holy Spirit and through his word, he is going to speak things to our heart. He's going to speak things to us that help us to see areas of our life that are not like him. And as he reveals those areas of our life that are not like him, those areas, they need to die. And we need more of his life in ours. Now, pursuing more of his death in our life might at first hearing sound like a grim pursuit. We don't like to think much about death or talk much about pursuing death. It kind of sounds upside down and backwards, if you will, pursuing death to bring life. But I want you to understand that in reality, that's how the kingdom of God works. Things have to die to bring other things to life. Things have to die to bring other things to life. Take, for instance, a seed. A seed, it gives up its life. Uh, Then it takes root and begins to grow. And not just to begin to grow, but it normally would begin to grow and then begin to multiply. In other words, new life multiplies because something died. Something gave up its life. And it often yields far better results than we could ever imagine. Take, for instance, a farmer by the name of Ansley Mueller, farmer in, in, in uh, Pleasant Plains, Ohio. He'd heard this saying, and maybe you've heard it too, only a fool can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in one seed. Maybe you've heard that before. Uh, Only a fool can count the seeds in an apple, but only God can count the apples in one seed. Well, Ainsley Mueller had heard about this principle, and in 1977, he had the chance to find out uh, if it was true. He said in 1977, he lost almost his entire crop. Um, It was a bad, bad year. It had been very rainy. The floods had taken over a lot of his crop, and and the harvest didn't really develop. And so at the end of the year, in October, he said that he would walk through the fields, and he would just try to recoup what he could. He'd pick a bushel here and and a bushel there. And he said, then I saw, he said, then I saw this most extraordinary, unusual looking soybean plant. He said, I walked over to it, and I was shocked by its size and how, how good it really looked. And he said he went over and he began to pick the pods off of this particular soybean plant. 202 
pods. He said he opened them and he said, I counted them, counted every bean, 503 soybeans. He said, I took them home, I kept them through the winter, they dried out, and the next, the next spring, he said, they just, seemed, they just seemed special to me. So in 1978, the spring of 78, I took those 503 soybeans and I planted them in a little plot behind my house. And when October came, he said, I harvested 32 pounds, 32 pounds. He said, I dried them out over the winter, dried them out over the winter. And in 1979, I took those 32 pounds and I planted them on one acre. When October came, he said, I harvested them. I had 2,409 pounds, and that spring, I planted them on 68 acres. He said, every, every drop of land I had, I planted soybeans on that. And that fall, I harvested 2,100 bushel of soybeans and cashed them out for $15,000. What looked like disaster, right? What looked like disaster turned into a great harvest. And in order for that to happen, the seed had to be planted. The seed had to give up itself. In essence, the seed had to die to bring new life. And for that new life to come and then multiply over and over and over again. The great, the great harvest took place because the seed would die. Now, while it's not a perfect illustration, I want you to see this morning that there are things in our lives that have to die in order for abundant life, the life that Jesus has for us, in order for that to come. If we're gonna be on a daily pursuit of Jesus, if we're gonna be doing what he would have us to do and growing in our walk with him, we need, con we need to be constantly desiring for Jesus to help us by his spirit, for us to hear his voice and see that the things must die in our life, the old things must pass away and die in our life in order for new life to burst forth and for incredible things to happen and for us to grow and become more like him. The Apostle Paul talks a lot about dying to live. And I want us to look at some of these passages this morning uh, that Paul shares with us with new eyes uh, to help us to understand how we too have areas in our life that have to die in order for new life to burst forth. I want you to see to pursue more of his death in your life, sin has to be put to death. Sin has to be put to death in our life. If we want something better to take root and grow, we have to clear the way by putting sin to death. Paul writes, Romans 6, beginning with verse one. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Verse six. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. For sin shall not be your master because you are not under the law, 
but under grace. If you're thankful this morning that Jesus Christ gave his life not just to forgive you of your sin, but to free you from sin, say amen. That's why Jesus died. We don't have to live a life of sin any longer. We can have victory in our lives through Jesus Christ, our Lord, the power of the Spirit to live lives that are pleasing to him. Paul, Paul writes this, we died to sin, how can we live in it any longer? So my question to you this morning is, have you died to sin? Have you died to sin? Or do we buy into the lie? Do we buy into the lie that it isn't possible to die to sin? You see, so often the reason that we get stuck in the ditch spiritually, the reason that we don't move forward in our relationship with Jesus Christ, the reason we find ourselves living this back and forth, up and down Christian life, hot and cold spiritually, is because we struggle to make a decision on the question of sin. We, su- we struggle to take a stand on whether or not we can live a life in, in victory over sin. Is it possible? Is it possible to live in victory over sin today? Can I pursue Jesus Christ and grow in my spiritual walk and be made more and more and more like him and live, over, live in victory over the sin in my life that seems to keep tripping me up? The answer is yes and yes and yes. Paul says that we can. Think about it. He says that we can. He tells us, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. If he can say, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. If he can say, do not offer parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness. If he can say, for you shall not, for sin shall not be your master. If he can say those things, how can we say anything but yes, it's possible through the help and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. If you believe it's possible, say amen this morning. But we have to believe it. We have to not just have a head knowledge and acknowledge that yes, we believe it's possible, but I mean we have to really believe it. Believe it enough to pursue it, to pursue Jesus and the, and the power that he promises through his spirit to put death to sin in our lives. But see, here's the hang up. The hang up is so often we buy the lie that it isn't possible to live in victory over sin. And the truth is, for some of us, we haven't come to the point where we really want victory over sin in our life. We haven't really come to the point where we desire to have victory over that sin that so easily besets us. We haven't come to the point where we're sick of it. Have you come to the point in your life where you're sick and tired of sin reigning over you? One of us. I mean really, right? Have we come to a point in our life where we're sick and tired of sin tripping us up again and again And again, we have to be sick of it. You see, we like grace. We like forgiveness. We love to celebrate it. And we should, right? Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that pardons, right? And frees us and helps us. We should celebrate the grace of God. But we also have to realize that God's grace can't be trampled on. 
and why we should celebrate the grace of God and want victory, we have to come to a place where we also say, you know what, Lord, with your help, never again. Lord, with your help, with the power of your spirit, with the fresh work of your grace in my life, I'm not going back. We have to be sick of sin in our life. Paul asked the question, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so grace may increase? By no means, he says. I think what he really wants to say there, what? Are you kidding me? Like, you're, like this question has to be asked, should we go on sinning? I mean, really, right? He says we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? If you're pursuing Jesus today, let me ask you the question. How much longer, how much longer are you going to allow sin to be your master? How much longer? You know what I'm talking about. That sin that creeps in to our lives. Attitude or action, even as Christians, attitude and action, can, sinful ones can creep into our lives again and again, and they can get a foothold. How much longer you're gonna justify your attitudes and your actions and your lifestyle that you know are wrong? that the Holy Spirit has shown you this is an area of your life that I want to help you with. This is an area of your life that simply cannot continue. I mean, over and over again, it seems like you're coming to me, I believe sometimes God says, and asking forgiveness, and I extend my grace to you, but I want to empower you to live above that. I want to help you to grow in your spiritual walk to where this isn't tripping you up any longer. You see, we believe through the power of the Holy Spirit that God is able to give us the power that we need to overcome the sin that so easily besets us. If you believe that, say amen. You see, the attitude and the action, a lot of times we blame on that good old excuse. You know the one I'm talking about, that good old excuse where we say, you know, that's just the way I am. Isn't that a good one? We use that one, don't we? You know, that's just the way I am. I know it shouldn't be that way, but it's just how it is. Can I just remind you today that maybe that's the way that you are, but Jesus Christ died on the cross to forgive us and, and free us right where we are, but not to leave us there. He wants to transform us. He wants to change us. He wants to make us more and more and more like him. That means that there comes a day where we look back and we say, you know what, that's the way I used to be. Old things have passed away. God, you've done a new work in my life. I'm thankful today for your grace because I see how your grace not only freed me, but your grace has changed me. Your grace through the power of your Holy Spirit has enabled me to be different. So what is it that trips us up? What is it that we know is wrong that we've accepted as okay? I have to remind you this morning of just a few things. That sexual sin that you've accepted as okay is not okay. A reminder of all who are in pursuit of Christ. A reminder to all who are in pursuit of Christ. Sex outside of marriage that has become the commonplace in our society, the Bible calls that sin. And can I also remind 
and be very clear to those who are married today that lusting after someone else in the hidden places of your heart, remember that Jesus said that allowing that into our lives and dwelling on that is the same as committing adultery and that is also sinful. So before we judge our brother, let's make sure we've looked inward. You see, these are the things that trip us up, folks. These are some of the things that keep us from spiritual growth in our lives because we allow these things to creep in and we somehow justify them as okay. Jesus promises to extend his grace and his mercy and his forgiveness. And I'm so thankful that we could call out to him and know that he will do that. But I remind you today that there's consequences to sin. That while Jesus' grace is sufficient and he forgives, that as we pursue things that are not of him, that there are consequences to those things that can, that can stay with us for a lifetime. The hurt, the anguish, the heartache can stay with us forever. And it's unnecessary if we'll just put sin in its place and put it to death. Sins like anger, unforgiveness, bitterness toward a parent, or an ex-spouse or an ex-friend who's hurt you deeply, how long will you allow that sin to live within you? Because you see, once it turns to bitterness and once it turns to an anger that's, that's, that, that desires for that person to quote, get what they deserve, that, that's when it's moved to sin in our life. We must put sin to death once and for all. We can't allow the enemy to have a foothold in our lives where he can rule over us. We can have a lot of things right. Can I just remind you this morning? We can have a lot of things right spiritually in our life. But it's often one thing that the enemy will, 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 will grab a hold of and keep bringing it back again and again and again. We can have a whole lot of things right. We can be doing all the right things, but the enemy can get a foothold with just one thing if we allow him to. If we allow him to. You may have heard the story, probably have, it's been around a while, of a Haitian pastor who shared with, uh, with a story about another man who had a house for sale. His house was for sale and, and um, he wanted $2,000 for it. And another man wanted to buy it very badly, but he was really, really poor. And so he couldn't afford the full asking price of $2,000. And so after much bargaining back and forth, the owner agreed to sell the house for half the amount. He said, I'll sell you the house for $1,000 with just one stipulation. He would retain ownership of just one small nail protruding just over the door. Just one small nail. He would keep ownership of that. The man agreed to, uh, to it and bought the house. Several years actually passed and the original owner decided he wanted that house back. He said, I want the house back. So he went to the man who had purchased it and he told him that he would like to buy the house back and the owner now was unwilling to sell. He said, it's not for sale. So the first owner, he went out and he found the carcass of a dead animal and he carried it into that house and he hung it on that nail that he still owned. He hung it in there. Well, I don't have to tell you the end of the story. It wasn't too many days and the owner, the, the owner who owned the house now was really willing to sell, right, by this time. Why? because that dead animal hanging in there made the house unfit for habitation. The conclusion is this. 
If we leave the devil with one small peg in our life, one small nail, one small area, he will return to hang his rotting garbage on it again and again and again and make it unfit for Christ to inhabit our lives. What's the one thing? What's the, what's the thing that just continues to trip you up over and over and over again? Put sin to death. And when you make the choice, life in Jesus will begin to take root and grow, and you'll grow spiritually like you have it before. Why? Because when we finally allow the Holy Spirit to clean house, then there's more room for the Lord to work in our lives. Pursue him this morning. Romans chapter six, verse 22 from the message, it reads like this. But now that you've found you don't have to listen to sin tell you what to do, and have discovered the delight of listening to God telling you, what a surprise, a whole, healed, put together life right now with more and more life on the way. You see, that's God's promise to us, more and more and more life in him on the way as we put sin to death in our life. Don't settle for the enemy's rotten garbage anymore. See, we buy into it, and we allow it into our lives, and it keeps us from being what God would have it to be. Put sin to death. Pursue more of his death in your life. Put sin to death. But let me go one step further. To have more of his death in your life, you not only have to put sin to death, but you have to put self to death. In order to keep sin in the coffin, we have to place self there too. In order to keep sin in the coffin, we have to place self there too. Because of the fall of man, all the way back, Genesis chapter one, right? Because of the fall of man, there's this carnal, selfish nature within us. This inward desire to have our own way, to pursue our own dreams and desires and wants. And we live in this fallen world and we're fed the lie more and more and more all the time. We're fed the lie that we actually deserve to have anything we want no matter what the cost. And so look around, it's true, isn't it? There's no cost too high to satisfy self. There's no cost too high. I'll pay whatever the price is to get what I want. Do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do it, it's okay, live your life. We pay the price, whatever's necessary. We offer up our daily time with God to pursue all kinds of other things, just to get ahead a little bit more. We compromise our core beliefs and our personal convictions so often, and we do it so much that we get to a place in our life where our heart becomes so hard that the things that should convict us don't even convict us anymore. We offer up and sacrifice, thing, sacrifice times like we're in today. We'll sacrifice this time for another opportunity that might come our way. Time when God wants to speak to us and draw us close and, 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 and challenge us to live more like him. We offer that up to almost any excuse, it seems. And the result is we miss out, not only on what God wants to speak to us, but we miss out on the spiritual growth that he has for us. Why are there so many divorces among Christian couples today? In fact, statistics tell us there's as many among Christians as among non-Christians. Why do churches split? 
Why do Christians feud among themselves and, and instead of seeking peace and loving one another? Why are we not reaching the community with the gospel of Jesus Christ the way that we should? Why do we, get, why do we have trouble getting volunteers to help in areas of service throughout the church, right? Why, why do we struggle with that? Why do we have a hard time keeping our commitments? Why do we have a hard time following through with doing what we know God has asked us to do? Like we've sensed his voice, we've heard him speak, and yet we struggle with following through on what God has asked us. Why is that? Why do we hang on to hurt? Why do we gossip and tear down when we should be loving? Why do we secretly at times hope that the person who maybe is living in a season of blessing right now, maybe they're going through a really good time and things are going well, why is it that we secretly hope that they fail or fall or lose because they're being blessed more than me? Why do those things happen? And not just in the lives of people who aren't Christians, but those things are happening in the lives of people who are Christians. Why? Can I tell you why? It's the selfish nature. It's this carnal nature that lives within us. You see, sin will never stay dead in the coffin unless self is placed there too. Why? Because this selfish nature within us so often will continue to, to bring us right back to where we were before. Bring sin right back to life again in our life. The secret to living in victory over sin and a life that pleases God is to make the decision to put the carnal, selfish nature to death. We need to pursue the death of self in our lives. Paul makes it clear. Just after he lists in Galatians chapter five, he makes a list of this is what the selfish nature looks like. Then he moves to, this is what life in the spirit looks like, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, we know those, right? Just after that, here's what he says. Are you ready? Here's what he says. Galatians chapter five, verse 24. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and the desires of their sinful nature to the cross. What's he saying? They've put them to death, crucified them there. And then he says, since we're living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Self has to be put to death. When we make the choice to put sin and self to death and place them in the coffin once and for all, it will make room for the Spirit to work in our lives in ways we've never experienced before. And can I take it a step further? We don't need to just put those things in the coffin. But we need the purifying work of the Holy Spirit to consume them. We need the fire of the Holy Spirit to consume them. A passage came to mind from Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist shares these words about Jesus and the Holy Spirit who would, who would come. This is from the message. But John intervened. I'm baptizing you here in the river, the main character in this drama to whom I'm a mere stagehand, of course he's talking about Jesus, will ignite the kingdom life, a fire, the Holy Spirit within you, changing you from the, in, from, changing you from the inside out. He's going to clean house, make a clean sweep of your lives. He'll place everything true in its proper place before God. Everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. It's a purifying work of his spirit in our life. 
And it's the grace of God that does the work. You see, it's not up to us to, to put self to death. It's up to us to say, God, I want self put to death in my life. I'm tired of the selfish nature having rule and reign within me. God, I want you to work in my life so I don't have that in my life anymore. It's a work of the Holy Spirit. He'll sanctify us. He'll purify our hearts. He'll remove this selfish and sinful nature so that we can live lives that are more and more desiring to be like Jesus. It's a work of his grace. Many of you know I grew up on a farm, and we have a few farmers in our congregation. I think some of you did too, even though we still may not be on the farm. Um, pardon the pun, but the roots are still there, right? My dad's uh, farm, we grew primarily corn and soybeans, and my dad in the day would row, row, row plant his beans, much like the picture that you see behind us. He would row plant them, uh, and there was only one reason for that. Um, that I can think of, really, and that was so that his children would have something to do in the summertime when they were out of school. Dad would grow plant his beans, and evidently they didn't make weed killer in those days. I know they did, but he would tell us that they didn't. And we would go out into these bean fields early in the morning, uh, often, and we would pull weeds out of beans. That was just our job through the summer to make sure that these, this isn't us, but when I saw this picture, I was just like my heart melted of the heat stroke that I faced every day when we would go out there. They have hose. My dad didn't believe too much in hose. Uh, he believed in getting down there and, and pulling them out by the root. He didn't want them growing back. And so we would go out there and do that. Well, I remember one summer we'd gone through and we had pulled a rather large patch of horse weeds was what we called them, giant ragweed. We'd pull them out and we would lay them there in the rows. Well, it wasn't long after we'd been through this field that a heavy rainstorm uh, came our way. And we didn't think too much about it at the time, but a couple of weeks later, uh, my dad was back out looking across this field and it had rained so hard that the, the rain had driven some of these weeds, the roots of them that were laying on top of the ground, kind of back down in the ground enough that these weeds had taken root again and they'd begun to grow. Well, my dad wasn't gonna have any of that. And so, as crazy as it might sound, uh, we started out, Nathan remembers this, I'm sure, we would, we would go out, we went back out in that field, and we took feed sacks with us, and we sacked up those weeds, and we carried them out of that field, and we put them on the truck. And when we, when we got them on the truck, we drove to where we had a big brush pile, every farmer has a big brush pile somewhere that they've gotta burn a couple times a year, drove, that, drove to that brush pile, and we offloaded all of those weeds so that dad could later burn them. He wasn't gonna have those weeds coming up in his beans again that we would have to go back out there and, and pull them. Now, while a somewhat crazy story, the reality is this. There are things that we lay in the row of our heart. In other words, we'll come before Jesus and say, Lord, I need your help. I need you to help me with this area of my life. Or, Jesus, I've sinned. I, I, want, you to, I want you to remove this from my life. I, I, don't, I want your grace. I don't want to live here anymore. And, and we, have that, we have him forgive us, but we conveniently lay it nearby in the row of our heart. And it isn't too long after that that the temptation comes again and we find that that root begins to, to get planted back in the ground of our heart and begins to grow again. And we fall back into that same sin and that same temptation. 
And that can happen over again and again. And what we need in our life more than anything else is we need to bring those things before Jesus today and say, I'm sick and tired of living this way. Amen. And we need to have him not just, not just take, that, take that out of our life by the root, if you will, but we need the Holy Spirit's purifying, consuming fire to burn that up in our life. In other words, we need to, him to help us through the power of the Holy Spirit to live above this sin that has beset us a time and time and time again. We need him to take that carnal nature in our life that so often will find us reacting to things that come our way in ways that are contrary to the way Christ tells us to live, and we need him to, instead of having a bent towards sin, to, to bend our heart toward Jesus Christ and the way that he would have us to work. But you see, it's a work of his grace. And we have to desire it. We have to come before him and say, Jesus, I want you to work through the power of your Holy Spirit in my life in this way. I want you to make a clean sweep, just like verse 17 said there. He's gonna, make, he's gonna clean house. He's gonna make a clean sweep of your life. Place everything true in its proper place. Everything false he'll put out with the trash to be burned. See, we need to desire that in our life and stop allowing sin to have reign in us. By putting these things to death, we make room for his Holy Spirit then to put us on a fresh pursuit of God and begin to grow us in ways that we've never experienced before. In fact, I believe that we will look back on our life and say, why didn't I come sooner? Why didn't I allow the Holy Spirit to work in my life sooner to give me the freedom and the help that I've needed? So I ask you this morning, where are you struggling? What are you trying to overcome time and again and failing to do in your life? What change do you need help making? Right? Sometimes we just need the courage to say, this is what I need, God, for you to do in my life. Stop settling for sinful attitudes and actions in your life when God, through his Holy Spirit, wants to help you to live in victory. Pursue more of his death in your life today. I'd like for you to stand with me, if you would, this morning. And Pastor Nathan's going to come. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we love you today. And Lord, these aren't messages that are fun to preach. You know the wrestling that I've done with you this week. But Lord, you've reminded me time and again throughout the week that this is a message that we need to hear. And Lord, I pray today that you would free us through the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would help us to believe enough that you're able, that we come to seek it. Help us to be so sick of sin having its rule in our life that we come and we say, God, would you do the work that only you can do? Help us to be so tired of being the way that we are and using that as an excuse that we come and say, God, I don't want to be that way anymore. I want your fresh work in me. I want your power of your Holy Spirit to enable me to do what I can't do on my own. 
I pray that you'd help us this morning. Help us to seek you. Help us to pursue you today for a fresh work of your spirit in our lives. We love you this morning, Lord, and we thank you for your presence. Help us now to have the courage to obey, I pray in Jesus' name.